Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We call this segment Dealer's Choice. It's what I think is perhaps the most talkable topic of the day, one that I find interesting, and I think you will as well. In this this, this maze of executive orders that Donald Trump has been issuing over the last couple days was an order which has the so-called self-proclaimed we love the planet environmentalists going absolutely gonzo. Uh, Donald Trump has essentially green-lighted the construction project known as the, the Keystone Pipeline. In the order that he issued yesterday, he didn't say, we're going to go ahead and build the Keystone Pipeline, but what he did is he reversed Barack Obama's order killing the Keystone Pipeline, and he also invited the, the company, TransCanada, um, to you know re- resubmit their, their application. So what is the Keystone Pipeline? Well, the Keystone Pipeline, of course, has, has been around – this issue has been around for quite a while. The Keystone Pipeline is, well, it's proposed by, again, this Canadian firm, and what it would do is it would carry 800,000 barrels of oil a day from the Canadian oil sands to the Gulf Coast. So you've got this pipeline. What it will do in a couple ways, first of all, it's going to create tens of thousands of jobs, to, to build the, the pipeline. In addition, um, this expands our energy resources. Now, as a child of the 70s who remembers the Arab oil embargo and remembers when you had gas lines because the price of gasoline was so high, we were always talking about things that would eliminate this country's dependence on foreign oil. And I understand Canada is... I understand Canada is a foreign country, but this is one of these situations where, you know, would you rather be getting some oil from Canada or would you rather be depending on OPEC to to do this? So this pipeline has been around for a long time. It expands our energy independence. It helps keep oil prices low together with a lot of the other things that we have done, and it creates jobs. So what is the problem with this? Well, essentially, you have what I would describe as, by and large, environmental extremists who don't like fossil fuels. That, that's the bottom line of this. They, they just they don't like oil. You know, it's these touchy feel. oh, we're destroying the planet by taking these, these things out. And, and the, the argument, I guess, is that this project would contribute to climate change because it would carry tar sands crude oil, which is especially... Uh, greenhouse gas intensive because of the energy it takes to extract the the thick crude. So, you know, this was something that I think there was a lot of politicians on both sides of the aisle that thought it was a good idea. But Barack Obama, who was figuratively speaking in bed with environmental extremists, he decided he was going to kill the Keystone Pipeline because I that you know, because, well, they just, again, don't like oil production now, of course, this didn't stop. If you kill the Keystone Pipeline, it doesn't mean that they're not going to continue to produce oil up in, in these Canadian oil fields. And it doesn't mean that they're not going to continue to bring the oil into the United States. It just means that instead of sending the stuff on a pipeline, you are now going to be transporting the oil on tanker trucks, which in many cases can be a lot more environmentally um, insensitive <laughs> because – Tanker trucks can turn over. They can spill all these type of things. Plus, tanker trucks depend on, like, gasoline and diesel fuel to to run them. So 
This was always more, in my opinion, more about show than anything else. But now Donald Trump is saying, look, I want the jobs. I want energy independence. And we are going to green light Keystone, or at least we're now going to invite the Canadian company to make another application. And the implication is it will be favorably considered. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Now, again, I think... Reasonable people can agree to disagree about some of some of the Obama initiatives. And then there are other initiatives and there's other things that he did, which to me was nothing but pure political pandering, trying to curry favor with certain interest groups. And the decision to kill the Keystone Pipeline, and with it tens of thousands of good-paying American jobs, I think was one of those decisions. Donald Trump now says, hey, you know, we're, we're open to restarting it, and my guess is that's exactly what's going to happen. Is Trump doing the right thing? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. And I know a lot of people out there hesitant about Donald Trump. And I think it's fair to, you know, look at policy by policy. But when it comes to green lighting the Keystone Pipeline, is Trump on to something? 414-799-1620 is the number. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1013 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Ten fifteen, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. Is there one traffic nuisance that gets you every rush hour where you think this, which you think deserves to be made into a law? Here's your chance. It ought to be a law coming up at two o seven this afternoon during WTMJ today. I, I just heard the public service announcement spot with uh, Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark. If you want to, I, I mean, I don't know about influencing minds and hearts, but if if the editors at the Journal Sentinel and their editorial page. We're trying to send a message, at least to David Clark. I, I think they failed badly. Editorial in today's paper, David Clark needs to go. Um, posts and tweets of the so-called sheriff, well, he is the sheriff of Milwaukee County, are not the statements of someone who should be in public office. And then the editorial goes on and on and on to talk about how Clark you know, needs, needs to go. Um, right, right, right. Um, <laughs> but then at the end, it, it points out that, well, okay, Clark's posts and tweets are clearly not the statements of someone who should be in office. He shows none of the concern or respect for the public that his office demands. Voters need to remember that as they get closer to 2018 and competent candidates for office need to be recruited now. Well, truth is, I mean, Journal Sentinel hasn't supported Clark at all. And even though you might have some concerns about some of the things that the sheriff does. And personally, I don't think he's going to be running for re-election anyway. But you know, he's there because the voters have chosen him, and the Journal Sentinel has done everything it could to try to stop him from getting elected in the past. And my guess is editorials at this point in time are going to sort of be like water off a duck's back. I'm, I'm just saying. So for the trees that died to produce that editorial— um, I don't know, maybe they would have been better off as firewood. All right, Donald Trump, in one of his executive orders, announces yesterday that he is going to essentially green light the restoration of the Keystone Pipeline, which would bring 800,000 barrels of crude oil from Canadian oil fields down to the Gulf Coast, creating 25 to 30,000 jobs, also helping us get along with, um, you know, promote economic energy independence. All good things. The... I'm just reading the New York Times story here. Um, Here's the executive director of the Sierra Club. 
Donald Trump has been in office four days, and he's already proving to be the dangerous threat to our climate we feared he would be. Wow. Like over-dramatize much. Right? We, we bring oil through pipelines. Like I say, it's not like this oil isn't going to continue to be produced in Canada. It's going to continue to be produced, and then it will be trucked into the United States. You can just, by using the pipelines, you can do it quicker, you can do it more efficiently, and you can do it cheaper. All right. Uh, then you have, okay, some other environmental activist says, okay, this is not a done deal. You know, we're going to fight this. People will mobilize again. Yeah, well, okay. You, you, you can mobilize and you can have your protests and you can do all that type of stuff. But the bottom line is we finally have a president who is not going to give in to the environmental extremists. And nobody wants to see spills. Nobody wants to see the, the environment destroyed. But at the same time, you know, we're not going to give up our cars, and we want to have cheap gasoline, and the Keystone Pipeline is one of the things that help us do that. Donald Trump is absolutely, totally, 100% right on this one. It's 1019. Coming up next, Republicans and Democrats in Madison are considering doing something which would be a stunningly, stunningly, Bad idea. Stick around. 1019, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Can the Bucks avenge last week's home loss to the 76ers? They're back in town tonight for another matchup at the BMO Harris Bradley Center. Our coverage starts with Buckshots at 640 here on WTMJ. All right. There is a there there are a couple of very, very conservative legislators who have gotten together with the ACLU and a bunch of very, very liberal legislators, the, the kind of, you know, pro-criminal crowd, and they are proposing major changes in Wisconsin's asset forfeiture law. And, and I know, you, you know, your, your eyes are going to glaze over, but this is one of these bills that is really, really, really bad. It is bad public policy, and the fact that you've got conservatives who— with all due respect, have never worked as a prosecutor, have no clue how DA's offices work, have no clue how the federal government works, and really have no clue how asset forfeiture works on a day-to-day basis, who are deciding we want to try to change Wisconsin's laws. Um, Back in the day, when when I was chasing drug drug dealers for the U.S. government, um, we, back in the 1980s, when the war on drugs first started, What you had is you had, in addition to the criminal penalties, we had very aggressive asset forfeiture laws. Because here's the thing. The reason people are criminals is because they want to get stuff. They, They want the money so they can get stuff. And the idea always was that what would happen for too long is you would have people who would commit crimes, and they would make all sorts of money, and then even if they got caught... They still, or their families, or people got to keep the money. And so that, that just struck, I think, everybody is wrong. You needed to have this disincentive. And so back in the, in the 80s, in the federal government, you had these very aggressive asset forfeiture laws, which essentially said that if you have proceeds from illegal activity, 
those proceeds are subject to forfeiture. The idea being you should not be able to benefit from criminal activity. Now, the way the asset forfeiture laws were set up is there were two types. Some you could do as part of a criminal prosecution. You could you would return an indictment. Hondo Smith has committed X amount of crimes. And as part of the prosecution, you could also list different things to be forfeited. Right? What would happen, though, is a lot of times, well, Hondo would be good at hiding his assets, putting them in other people's names, transferring them, making it difficult to find. And so the law was set up that you could do it through the criminal process, or you could do what was called civil asset forfeiture, where you would start a lawsuit uh, essentially against the, the property. And this happened a lot of times. We used to do it a lot. Drug dealers were, were notorious for taking their drug money and buying cars. And, be, and so you'd have these car dealers that back in the day, they wanted to sell the cars. So you'd have the guy with no visible means of support who would come in and he would, you know, he or she, mostly he, you know, would, would buy the $50,000 car with cash, $9,999 payments scheduled, stretched out over a period of days to avoid IRS record, reporting requirements. And then they get the car and then you put the car in mom's name. All right, but it was mom's car. Mom didn't have any of that money. So what would happen is you do the investigation. The car would be in mom's name. Oh, no, no. You know, and the guy would say, no, it's, it's, it's mom's car. Mom should be able to keep the car, even though that's the guy driving it. So what the law would allow you to do is the law would allow you to start a lawsuit, in this case, to try to seize the car. And mom would be able to come forward. And mom would be able to say, no, that's really my car. Here's my Social Security checks. Here's how I paid for it. But mom was never able to do that because it wasn't mom's car. It might have been in mom's name. The asset forfeiture laws, the civil asset forfeiture laws, would allow the government to go after these cars outside of the criminal process. And it resulted in lots and lots of seizures and really kind of broke the back of lots of criminal organizations. So you have the criminal asset forfeiture, you have the civil asset forfeiture. For reasons that pass understanding— a handful of these elected officials have decided that they want to do away with civil asset forfeiture. Now, I understand why the ACLU doesn't want to do it because, you know, again, ACLU here, we, we don't we don't like the we don't like government going after this and taking people's property. I understand why some of the pro-criminal members of the legislature want to. The conservatives, though, this is one of these kind of ideas about, well, we, we think the government's, you know, too strong, and we, we, we don't want to see the government take property without due process. Well, there is due process. There's these civil lawsuits. The, I'm interested, I'm looking at this report by, well, uh, Badger State Sheriff's Association, Wisconsin Chiefs of Police, Wisconsin Sheriffs, Wisconsin Professional Police Association. Everybody says this bill is a bad idea. You know, current law has protections. In addition, these legislators, right now the way the law works is that if you seize stuff, the agencies get to keep some of the money so they can use it to buy vests for law enforcement or more modern surveillance equipment, and some goes to the school fund. These Republican legislators want to say, well, if there is asset forfeiture, we don't want the cops to be able to keep any of it. So, okay, you guys might be using this money to buy uh, vests, for example, to make your police officers more safe. No, we don't want you to be able to keep any of that money. We want to send it all to the school fund. It 
makes no sense at all. Like I say, it is being pushed by legislators who have, maybe they have good intentions, but they have never worked in DA's offices. They have never worked with law enforcement. They do not understand how asset forfeiture works, and they are continuing to try to bark this dog and get sponsors. It is bad, 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 bad public policy. And every Republican in the legislature who looks at this all you need to say is, gee, do I want to side with the professional police associations or I, do I want to decide with, side with liberal legislators like Red Fred Kessler, who has not been right on a criminal justice matter in decades, and the ACLU? That's all you have to ask yourself. But this is incredibly bad policy. It shouldn't be voted up. If it gets passed, Governor Walker should um, immediately, immediately um, veto this. Bad public policy, dangerous. I don't know if I describe it as pro-criminal, but that might not be the most unfair description. Just saying. 1028, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, the numbers are in. NFL viewership dropped for the first time in four years. We're going to talk about what is going on with that. And Ron Johnson is back with his right to try legislation. Stick around. Ten thirty-three. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Uh, there was a story on Channel Six the other day that I, I hesitate to comment on this, except it's a follow-up to something we talked about uh, when the story first broke, and. I know I do this at the risk of generating emails saying, oh, when, when did you go you know, soft on, on alleged child molesters? But it's a story that bothers me. It's the story of this former Slinger High School band director. The, the guy's name is David Hankey, and he's been retired. He, he was there for decades, and I know people who had their kids, and I know some people who were students of his, and he was— a beloved teacher. He was a beloved teacher. What happened was that apparently, I want to say like in 2005, well, there and there, there's even some disagreement about this because when we talked about this a week or two ago, the, the, the current superintendent of schools called. But um, there is a former student who is now 34 years old who has come forward and alleged that she was improperly touched by this guy. She says she notified the school district in 2005. They say, we, we, she says, I sent him anonymous, an anonymous email, and they never followed up on it. The school district says, we, we've checked. We cannot find anything saying that this was, was ever brought to our attention. But when she was like 34 years old, uh, last year, she came forward with details. The Washington County District Attorney's Office has investigated this. They have now issued issued charges. Now, this is under the st- normally the statute of limitations, like six or seven years, because this is a certain type of crime that it, alleged crime. This is a certain type of crime involving you know um, improper contact with a school student. I, I think the statute of limitations you have till the victim is off the top of my forty one, maybe 30, 35, whatever. But it, it's this prosecution is within that time frame. I've always had trouble with these things, and this isn't being soft on alleged child molesters. It's not. But I've always thought, if you get an allegation like this that is so old, how do you defend yourself? I mean, if somebody says, gee, um, I was sexually assaulted by so-and-so last Wednesday, 
well, oh, okay, you can go out, you can investigate that. And the person who's being accused, let's assume for the sake of argument they're being falsely accused, they can say, no, that wasn't me. This is where I was last Wednesday. When somebody says, I was improperly touched back in 1999, how, how do you, as a practical matter, defend yourself? And I'm not, I am not justifying it. If somebody did this, they deserve to have the book thrown at them. But from just a sort of due process rights, think about that. You, if, if I said to you, you know, I'm accusing you of committing this horrible, horrible crime, and you did it sometime in 1999, all right, how do you go back and, and disprove that? You know, we, you know I, I was, you know, we were in a parking lot, you know, down by the, by the school, whatever. Now, so they bring these charges, and ultimately it'll be decided in a court of law, and the state will have the, the burden of proving it beyond a reasonable doubt. All right, that, that, that's all well and good. Here's the follow-up part of the story, which really bothers me. Right, once these, this, these charges became public— you know, the, the sheriff's office and the DA's office started saying, okay, we, you know, are there other people? Are there other victims out there? Because a, a lot of times, I'm just talking generally, not about this specific case, but a lot of times when you have situations like this, allegations, a teacher or a clergy member or whatever, it's not just a one-off. It, it, there will be allegations of, of other people who, who've done that. Okay, so they say, are there other people that, that are out there? And... They, at the time, when this first happened, then there was a report, it was either the sheriff or the DA's office who said, well, there, there's, there's you know, at least one other person that's come forward. Well, here's the headline in Channel 6's story. Ten more victims allege sexual assault by retired Slinger band teacher. Nearly a dozen Slinger High School graduates have now come forward accusing a retired band teacher of sexual assault. This after David Henke was charged on January 11th with sexual assault of a student by school staff for allegations dating back 17 years. Okay, that's, that's all well and good. But here's the detail that I can't get past. Fox 6 has learned Henke will not face charges related to any of these new alleged victims. All right. How can this man possibly get a fair trial? I mean, what what's going on with the DA's office and the sheriff's department? If, if you have people that come forward and say, somebody did something terrible to me, that, that's, that's fine. Your job is to investigate it and determine whether or not you have a prosecutable case. To go to the media and to say, well, we have all these victims who've made these claims— but none of them are going to result in any charges, seems to me to be so incredibly prejudicial. And, and again, I'm not defending this man if he did this type of stuff. But, all right, here you have somebody who's accused of something extremely serious, and now you've got, you know, the state, the DA's office, the sheriff's department saying, and by the way, there's all these other people that said they did the same thing, but, you know, we're, we're not going to bring any sort of charges against them. So, you know, he's never going to get his day in court. He's never going to be able to deny any of this stuff. But by the way, everybody, this guy we've accused of this one thing, there's people, all these other people that say that he did it. Now, if, if th- that evidence, I do not believe, would be admissible in a court of law against him in this underlying case. If it were, okay, and it's introduced in court as part of the underlying prosecution, then, then it's fine. Like I say, I don't think any of that stuff would ultimately or will be admissible. But it bothers me when you have law enforcement and when you have DA's offices that make this decision, I don't know where the decision was, to say, oh, okay, we've charged somebody with this one offense, and by the way, there's all sorts of other people that said he did the same thing, but never mind, we're not going to bring those charges. It's just 
again, fundamentally wrong. And I'm not defending this man at all. If he did this stuff and they can prove it, fine. But first of all, how do you how do you disprove some allegation like this from from 15 or 20 years ago? And then when you've got law enforcement going into the media saying, well, we, we, we're not going to bring any of these other charges, but he did this to all these other people as well. It just, there's something about this whole thing that just doesn't seem right to me. Again, that's not defending an accused, you know, teacher who's a child molester. It's just saying, you know, maybe maybe this is a matter where if the DA's office or the sheriff's office investigates these things and then determines that there's no basis to bring criminal charges because of statute of limitation or whatever, well, maybe they should just keep that to themselves. And if the victims want to come forward and file civil lawsuits, that's their business. But, um... This, the way this thing has been handled has bothered me from the beginning. Just saying. Okay, uh, new numbers are in. It's not great for the NFL. Stick around. 1041, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1044, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. As somebody who watches pop culture, I, I'm always trying to figure out what's going on and what are people going to be watching or listening to. Uh, the NFL... TV ratings are, are down, and they are down dramatically. Um, the Now, I, I say that, but with a little bit of a cautionary note. The average NFL game, um, the average NFL game drew 17.6 um, million viewers, okay, which, which is, that's a lot of people. But it, it's down. Um, in 2015, it was 19.6 million. 2014, 19.2 million. So a dramatic decline. On top of that, um, while a lot of the decline was during the first eight or nine weeks of the season, and the NFL was trying to explain this by saying, well, you've got the election that's going on. Um, the, the truth was that even after the election, Ratings of TV games the last eight weeks of the season were marginally um, lower than before. So the bottom line is overall average TV viewership for the 2016 NFL season fell 8%. And again, still, you know, when you when you got 16.5 million people who are watching a game, that that's still a lot, but but it dropped. And an 8% drop is something that's significant. And apparently, just based on the timing, while more people started watching as the season went on, they, they were still they were still down. And it's not, I think, just enough to blame the election. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Now, I understand that the Green Bay Packers are, of course, a religion in the state of Wisconsin. So if the Packers are going to be on, we're kind of— we, we watch the Packers, all right? That's The numbers will always be huge here. Matter of fact, the Packers are the second biggest draw in the NFL uh, behind the Cowboys. I hate to admit that, but the Cowboys do do draw better um, as far as, as viewers. But uh, that's nationwide. But, you know, we, we do well. So let's, let's take Wisconsin and the Packers out of the equation. We're talking about, you know, the average football fan when it's not a Green Bay Packer game. Right, people are not watching as much. What's what's going on? Why why was there a ratings decline? Is this just a, a blip because nothing can go up forever? 
Um, will they be back higher, or are there some fundamental things that were going on this year that caused fewer people to watch? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. And was there something that maybe, again, taking the Packers out of the equation, was there something that perhaps you know changed your viewing habits, the whole idea um, of, Okay, it's a Thursday night game. Maybe in years past, I would have done it. Now, I'm not watching. What's going on? 414-799-1620. And is it an aberration, or is it going to be part of a longer trend? Let's start with Sam in Chicago. Sam, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Sam. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Sam. Yes, sir. But, uh, yeah, I love your show. Thank you, sir. Um, I do not personally put a lot of stock into it. But I have a lot of friends who have this conspiracy theory that they like to direct where the teams are going to go so they get the most watching by the end of the season for the Super Bowl. Okay. So that it's kind of – are you implying that some of the stuff might be rigged? <laughs> Is that the implication? I, those, those are not the I'm going to use. Uh, but, okay. but, uh, but, yeah, not, not that it's rigged like, you know, like some big right. thing, but – same time like they might still like the patriots didn't have a lot of hard teams this year right they're saying well that's just so they can make it to the super bowl and if you look at the numbers sure yeah it kind of looks that way but but and these are friends of mine you know right. and i hate saying that friends of mine but right. uh no no <laughs> i get the same it. time you know but it's like you know i'm a packer fan and i see that they're skilled but at the same time i can see it and go well i i kind of see what you're saying yeah no so, well i guess i mean th- i mean th- i i do think that there's a lot of mismatches that are out there i, I think that you know First of all, I never thought I would say this because I'm a huge football fan, but I think the product, I think there's, I think it's oversaturated. I mean, between, you, you now have college football games, between college and NFL games, is there a weeknight where there's not at least not at least one game. I mean, you, you've got, I know you've got college games. You've got NFL games on Sunday and Monday and Thursday. You've got college games, I, I know, on Wednesdays and Fridays. And, of course, Saturday. There's just all of this stuff that's out there. I I think there's this saturation that's there. A lot of it is, I think the NFL thought that, hey, you know, we we can put out, it doesn't matter if there's, like, two really bad teams that are playing on a Thursday night. Uh, Football is such a destination event that people will watch. I don't think, I mean, I don't think that that's the case at, at all. I think people are, again, I think people are being more selective than that. And... Well, I have no problem opening this particular can of worms. I think there is a Colin Kaepernick effect. I think that, um, especially early in the season, I think that there were a lot of people who were turned off to the protests. And again, are you not going to watch the Green Bay Packers because, you know, you've got Colin Kaepernick, you know, staging this protest and these other NFL players that are acting like spoiled children? Well, well no, you're going to watch the Packers. But does it make you... Maybe turned off a little bit to the product. 414-799-1620. Pete in Sussex. Pete, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Morning, Jeff. Enjoy the program. Thank you, sir. Thanks for calling. I think I think a couple things are going on. I think the main one is games take too long. Yeah. Every time there's a kickoff, there's a flag. Now, it wasn't quite as profound in the playoffs. Right. But during the season, I, I could not believe every time there's a kickoff, there's a flag. So I think that's the primary reason. Secondary reason... People have DVRs, and they're watching less and less commercials. So if you have a, a game on, that's a uh, mediocre game on a, on a Thursday night, nobody's going to spend four hours watching it. Right. Just, it just takes way too long. Right. Right. No, I think that's an—I I think, 
you know, the, the game time make I think that's a good point as well. We have we have limited attention spans. And again, it's not like if you're a Packers fan, yeah, you're going to watch the Packers game from beginning to end. But if it is, it's that Thursday night and you've got the Jacksonville Jaguars playing the Los Angeles Rams and you don't really care about the outcome, you're you're not going to commit to like three and a half hours. I mean, life is too short, huh? Absolutely. Yep. I yeah. think those are the two main reasons. Uh, interesting. Thanks. You know, I, I, I've told this story before. A couple of years ago, I was sitting in Las Vegas on a Saturday afternoon and Surprise follows surprise. I'm in a bar and uh, sitting next to me. And I, I love going to Vegas for people watching and, and talking to folks. There's this couple from the United Kingdom who are sitting next to me. They're, they're from London, as a matter of fact. And so we're, we're just we just strike up a conversation. And the it was there was a college football game on. Now, college football is even worse than the NFL as far as how long it takes. And the, the couple from England said, what we don't understand about America you Americans, is you in general are so impatient. And they were, they were talking about soccer. All right, don't let your eyes glaze over. You know, soccer games are, it, it's 90 minutes, two 45-minute halves, a 15-minute halftime, and then they have some injury stoppage time or whatever. But soccer games, two hours, all in, all done. And that's what they were saying. They say, you know, you can plan a day. You know, you know the game is going to start at 12.30. It's going to be over by 2.30. You're going to be home, you know, by 3. So we don't understand, you Americans, that you commit three and four and four and a half hours to watching these things. You are so impatient about everything else. And I've always been thinking about that, especially in the context of, well, some of these games that go on and on and on, whether it's because of all the commercials, Lord love the sponsors, or because of, again, all the penalties that drag the stuff out. I mean, well, Frank on the south side. Frank, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, Jeff. I just like to, I, I agree with you 100%. There's just too much, especially National Football League. you got Saturday, Sunday. Uh, Thursday. Thursday, Monday, Friday, Thursday. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just too much. I mean, how much are you going to do, you know what I mean? Right, especially like when— the old days when it was just on Sunday, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, or, or the Monday night game. But, right, I mean, th- thanks for, I mean think, even think about Sundays nowadays. All right, when, when they were playing, you know, they play however many games they play in London. So you've got the game that starts at 9.30 in the morning. Then you've got the noon games. Then you've got the 3 o'clock games. Then you've got the, the Sunday night football game. Then you've got Monday night football. All right, it's just, again, you're going to watch your team. But as far as the, the casual fan— I mean, I think there is this saturation issue. And for the longest time, I think the NFL believed that people just love football so much that we can we don't have to worry about that. We can do more and more. Candidly, um, I'd like to see them get rid of the Thursday night games. Now, they're not because there's that all that money involved, but the teams don't like it. They're playing on short weeks. I think the potential for injury increases. Um, the games, a lot of times, are just crummy because they don't have the time to prepare for it. You know, you, you play the game on Sunday. You're used to a week. Now, all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're playing that next Thursday. I just I, the, the games tend to tend to not be that good. They tend to not be well played. Um, I, I think saturation is a factor. And again, you may or may not disagree agree with me. I do think, especially early in the season, I think there was that Colin Kaepernick effect. Again, not making you not watch the Packers games, but I think a lot of people just said, eh, I mean, these are, I, I don't like these athletes making these political stances, and I'm going to respond by turning the dial. 1055, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.
1057, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, here, here's a story, and this would be a note to many of my liberal friends who think that you know anybody who's willing to cut Donald Trump any slack at all is nothing but a racist and evil hater. Story out of Washington, D.C. Um, the woman's name is Rosalind Harris. She is African-American. She works as a waitress at... Uh, a restaurant in in D.C. Um, she was at the Women's March on Saturday. Great. She comes into you know work, and you know she's serving this table of three white men, and um, you know they tell her that they're from West Texas. One was a dentist. One compliments her on her smile. They were juvenile and fun, and um, you know they're they're talking about how they were in town for the Trump inauguration, and she's the first to admit that she said, "Well, I I assumed that uh, since they were in town for the president's inauguration, they um you know they were just they were racist, they were evil, they hated women, they hated black people." Um, when they left. They left a tip. Okay, the the tab was $72.60. They left her a $450 tip. And they left a note along with it that essentially said, you know, hey, um, we may come from different cultures and may disagree on certain issues, because apparently they got into a little bit of a dialogue. This is what they write on the, the slip. We may come from different cultures and may disagree on certain issues, but if everyone would share their smile and kindness like your beautiful smile, our country will come together as one people, not race, not gender, just American. And they write, God bless, and they leave a $450 tip. And the lady is saying, you know, I prejudge these people because they were here for the Trump inauguration, and I guess I was wrong. Hmm. Maybe we can just all get along. 1059, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in just a couple minutes, Ron Johnson pushes the right to try. We discuss.